Thanks for listening to a little more conversation. I'm Ben O'Hara-Byrne. Tonight we talk about love on this Valentine's Day, from how modern technology, including dating apps, have so dramatically changed the way we meet and fall in love, how to be alert to romance scams from a woman who fell victim to one, and how artificial intelligence is making those scams even more pervasive and hard to detect. And we chat about the timelessness and universality of the love song. It's amazing when you think about how couples meet these days, of all ages, by the way. You know, I think back to maybe 15 years ago, I had one friend, one colleague who met his wife online on one of those dating sites. And he was uh, a bit of an anomaly, to be honest. He was one of the only people that I knew who had successfully met someone that he then settled down with. They have a family. They've been together ever since. Um that I'd met online, just about everyone else I knew had either met at work or through friends, you know, the way people used to meet. Uh, that's completely changed now. Almost everyone I know has met, um, almost, not quite, but almost everyone I know, um, or most of the people have met their significant others online, or at least through some form of online interaction. And what's amazing about it, and it's just hearing people talk about it too, is that it kind of changes the way you approach dating. You know, it used to be like, put yourself out there. You got to go out. You got to go out. You got to go out. You don't need to do any of that anymore. You can basically, like so many things in life now, sit at home and sort of craft what it is that you want to present about yourself in many ways, and also decide what it is you're looking for. You're not sort of throwing yourself out into the winds the way you used to have to, into, you know, just let the tide take you where it's going to take, or the current rather. Now there's something much more sort of intentional about the whole thing, isn't there? You can kind of create something for yourself, decide what it is that you're looking for. Now that and finding it is two very, very different things. Uh, But technology has really changed so much about the way we meet. And that's fundamental in some ways because it expands even further. I mean, if you think of how relationships have worked over the years, they started off very small. If you lived in a small community, you probably didn't get a chance to meet many people outside that community. Then in big cities, you probably had a better chance to meet someone. But often you met people from your own neighborhoods. Then you went away to university and Maybe not, but then you met more people at work. Now you can meet people anywhere. You can meet people in another city. It's it's on your, it's at your fingertips. Now it's not all glorious. Obviously, there are caveats here, but it has changed so much. And here to talk about that is Shan Budram. She is a sexologist and relationship expert. She's Bumble's relationship expert. Of course, Bumble is a uh, dating app as well. Shan, thank you so much. Hello, happy Valentine's Day! What a beautiful story that you shared. I was grateful to have gotten to listen along. Yeah, I, I always have to ask you right off the bat, do you have a duet? Do you have a duet that, that, do you have a favorite duet? I was just playing, we've been playing other people's all night. I have lots of favorite ones, but do you have a favorite Valentine's duet? Oh my goodness. Uh, okay, I'm going to go with um, Tania and Eric Benet. And um, I can't name the song right now, but it's we'll a beautiful find. duet. It's like a classic wedding song. Yeah, Eric Benet is great. Oh, that's that's super. Yeah, we we we've been we've been sort of going back a little a little further into like the '80s so far, mostly the late '70s, early '80s. Um, this is a remarkable time to date, I imagine, because it's and I've I've watched your videos and so on. There are so many things going on these days, but you talk a lot about intentionality, and I think it's a really interesting way of of sort of dating. You kind of set goals now. You're not left to randomness in some ways, the way we were, the way it used to be. Absolutely. I think exactly the, the scene that you were describing really does capture dating to a T. The way that I describe dating today is it's like a car. Um, and as time, the car has gotten a lot more 
technical and a lot more advanced and there's more buttons and there's more gadgets, there's more that you can do. But if you fundamentally don't know how to drive, it's not going to matter how fancy or how many bells and whistles the car has on it, you're still going to end up with the same problems. So for a lot of people who find the dating app situation overwhelming, intention really could be a good place to start in terms of looking at what could be wrong in your approach and your process. Why are you dating? What are you looking for? What brings you joy? Those basic questions, if you don't have answers to those, no matter if you're dating in person or you're using an app, you're probably going to end up running into the same problems. Yeah, you've talked a lot about being honest and, and um, you know, making sure that your profiles are honest and present. You know, you're sort of putting your, I think there's always this sense outside that there's a lot of subterfuge going on. And I imagine there probably is, but you say the way to success is just to be, you know, to be your true self on dating apps. Well, absolutely. I mean, there are very few people who are great, genuine actors. So I think that's just the point to, <laughs> to say that Indeed. your best bet is to be yourself because it's actually extremely hard, and any best student will tell you this, to become somebody else. And then, of course, if you are able to pull off the feet of becoming somebody else, when someone does fall for that version, not only do you have this hard task of keeping that up, but secondly, there's a bit of resentment there because they're not really into the real you. And I'll tell you a stat that I found really interesting from Bumble's survey, and they have a global survey of over 14,000 respondents. And one of the trends that they saw emerge in 2023 was something called open casting. And that, in essence, was people who were throwing away the list of what they had to have and instead being like, what is interesting, what is new, what is exciting, and I'm willing to date outside of my type to find that feeling. And that's good news for people to be themselves. It's good news for originality. So I think maybe traditionally, if you thought only this kind of person gets somebody, everybody would clamor to try to become and look like that kind of person. But in a world where people are open to something new and are willing to be surprised, why not bet on yourself? Yeah, I guess the element, and you've talked about this as well, the element of storytelling then comes in, right? You tell you tell a story about yourself that is appealing to someone else as opposed just to, you know, how tall you are, you know, what you do for a living. There's a story of you that, that can be compelling to someone else if you're open casting. Absolutely. Um, and exactly to your point, we can watch. This is my um, two-year-old. Oh, this is great. Hi, <laughs> <right>, welcome. She <laughs> welcome. wants to watch Baby Dance. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> okay, Ryu, um, this is the story of my life right now tonight and the story of my Valentine's it's Day. It's no problem at all, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm sure many are having very similar Valentine's Days today, by the way. Yeah, um, it's been a beautiful thing. But yeah, I think exactly that. This is a part of my story, and this is what, if I were on dating apps, which I'm uh, married, so I'm not right now, but if I were, a part of the story that I would tell is I have two small children, and they're a beautiful but very important, demanding part of my life, and I'm looking for partnership that allows me to expand on my family um, and extend. I'm looking for an extension, not a separate entity. So yes, to the point of storytelling, it's leaning into all parts of yourself and not looking at them as unsightly things that you have to hide, but beautiful details that people should know if they're interested in getting to know the real you. you you've known this, this whole world for a while now, and, and how much has it changed? Because I think what happens a lot with, with technology, and, and you've mentioned it when it comes to the car, the evolving car, is that a lot of us have our preconceived notions, I think, about dating online, sort of dating anything. And yet it's evolved a lot in the last decade as well. It continuously changes. Um, one thing I found really interesting is that these days people are a lot more upfront about what they want out of a relationship uh, as opposed to sort of, we always had this idea, I think, or 
when I say we, I mean me. So let me, let me say I. Um, I always had this idea that people would sort of, that people would hide behind this, you know, let's get together and we'll, you know, we, but really it was just all about hooking up, right? But you said these days it's much more, people are much more uh, direct about what it is they're looking for. Yeah, and this is actually a feature that Bumble has that I really love and I hope people do lean into and they have seen great success with it is the um, badges, specifically the intention badge. And so a badge is something that you put to really highlight something that's very important to you. It can be a value system, it can be an interest, or it can be your intention for why you're on that app. And it's hard to miss, like somebody's photo, and it allows people to get, you know, within that first few seconds where they're just trying to decide if they're for you or you guys are not a match, um, putting out your intention there is a really great place to do that. And if they're not doing that through an intention badge, it's not taboo to say within the first few exchanges of a conversation, what are you on the apps for? You know, what are you looking for? And because of the fact that we normalize a variety of different intentions for using these services, I do hope that people feel more emboldened to be honest. Um, and I think that people have just seen more success with honesty to, to be rather honest with you. And, I think that, again, the survey that Bumble has shows that a lot of people are looking for genuine, authentic connections. Doesn't necessarily always mean long-term connections, but they are looking to be honest about who they are. They're looking to be honest about their money situation. Cash candidness is another trend that they saw arise. And as the world changes and people's financial situation changes, they're no longer looking to pretend like they can afford that five-star dinner if they're in a place right now where you know, going out to eat may be a luxury that they can't afford. Shad, I was interested in looking at at the red flags because one, I found the 2023 red flag was love bombing. And I was trying to figure out how that works. Yes. First of all, thank you for playing that song for me. Spend My Life was the name of it. And it's making me emotional even just hearing what a beautiful song. Um, yes. So love bombing is something that I'm very grateful is now a part of the dating vocabulary. And essentially it's when you meet somebody who does exactly that, they flood you with attention, with gifts, with time, with things that you truly are valued, ultimately looking for out of a long-term relational partnership, but you get it very, very early on. And like a bomb, it goes off and there's a huge explosion and then there's nothing. Um, so this is a tactic that people utilize to get people hooked very early it's often a way of either mind manipulation or it's somebody who just loves the idea of falling in love and doesn't necessarily think about the wreckage they leave afterwards when they leave that person in the dust. Yeah, because it used to be I was swept off my feet, right? I mean, that was the whole, that was kind of the whole point. But now it's sort of, uh, I guess. they got to keep carrying you. That's the whole true. point of being swept off your feet. If you're swept off your feet and then the person leaves, then you were tripped. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, here in Canada, we call that a penalty, right? So that's a, it's a hockey right. a hockey term. So sorry about that. Um, it, it's interesting, though, when you look at, at, at just how much things have changed. So when, when you look at how it has evolved, do you think people are, are now becoming more used to being their, themselves on apps than they were before? I mean, is it is it becoming more transparent? Every time we bring this up, my colleagues talk about, you know, everyone lies about their height, everyone lies about their, you know, all those usual things. But do you feel like it's shifting that people are so used to it now that it's becoming more real, so to speak? Yeah, the culture is always going to change and shift. It's always been constantly changing. So I definitely think that after hearing enough people complain about people not looking like their photos, people started being like, okay, if I've taken this picture four years ago, maybe it's time to update that photo. 
after hearing enough people complain about people misrepresenting their height, because when you show up in real life, that's when the truth is going to come to light. So what's the value in lying and denying, delaying the inevitable, right? Just wasting more people's time and resources when the great thing about online dating is that there are so many options out there. So putting time and energy into a relationship that's never going to go anywhere because fundamentally you're incompatible just isn't logical. So I do think that people are starting to see that, yes, you can get the short-term gratification of more matches or perhaps even more conversation, but you're not getting more connection. And ultimately, that's what people are looking for. Have you noticed a change in, in your user profiles too? Because I'm hearing more stories now about, about older people sort of using dating apps and meeting that way, that uh, it really has spread to a much larger demographic than perhaps it had was five, 10 years ago. Absolutely. I genuinely think that this is an incredible year for people who are looking for a second chance love story. Those who are either divorced or coming out of a long-term relationship to come onto the dating apps because they will find a lot of people who are in their position. And this is where filters, like for example, on Bumble come into play where you can look specifically for a given age. And then you, I highly suggest that people, even if they feel a little afraid, there's an incognito mode on Bumble where you can just look without actually making your profile live yet. That's a great way to see what's out there. See, you know, just experience it for yourself before you make all the judgments and assumptions. But yes, I do believe that a lot of people would be pleasantly surprised at the range of individuals looking for connections through these apps. Which is which is interesting too, because a lot, you know a lot of people. One thing it does offer that I think is really interesting is an ability to expand your horizons outside of your day-to-day life, right? I mean, that part of it, to me, is fascinating because we're often so limited by where we, you know, where we work, where we live, who we know, and this sort of opens it up beyond that, which is both could be both a blessing and an absolute curse, right? Because you you, you kind of lose your bearings a little bit, I would imagine. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that there. Are- I mean, there's no singular truth out there. There are definitely advantages to being able to meet people that you wouldn't bump into every day. And Bumble actually has a number of love stories of people who live in the same street meeting through the app. That there was never an opportunity for them to walk outside and say, hey, what lawnmower are you using? Or whatever would have struck up a conversation. So it is offering an opportunity to make connections where just wouldn't be possible. I think one of the downsides to that is that there is less layers of accountability. And when you have less layers of accountability, then there is more of a propensity to ghost. So if I know, if I met you at the gym, I'm going to know that if I stop answering your phone calls, I'm going to see you at the gym, it's going to be an awkward encounter. But if I've never seen you before in my day-to-day life and I met you through an online app, well, not talking to you anymore is just as easy as no longer responding to you because I know that there's no natural way for us to bump into each other. And, and is there any way to, 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 I guess there's really no way, I mean, dating is dating, right? <laughs> dating is dating. It hasn't changed. The, the tools have changed, but it's still about two people trying to, trying to figure out if they like each other or not, which is always Exactly. Fraught. People are still people and they're going to bring in all of their baggages and their fears and their misconceptions and their lessons learned from the past, both good and bad. And so Ghosting is one of those things that I think is more prevalent in these times because there is less degrees of connection. Whereas before, if I met somebody through a mutual friend, I would feel an obligation, at least to our mutual friend, to end things a little bit more amicably and less irresponsibly. But other than that, I think that you are going to exactly what you just said, experience that dating really is dating. Hopefully, 
because we are in an era where people are seeking out therapy and um, resources like therapeutic mediums are a lot more available to people, even if they're not going into a brick and mortar or talking to one person. So I would hope that there are a lot more ethical daters out there and the studies and the stats from Bumble survey do definitely point in that direction. Even one of the trends they had this year was new year um, and new modern masculinity. And that was because majority of the respondents who are, who identified as male were now saying that they had re-examined what masculinity was to them and they had pinpointed some behaviors that they felt were toxic and were now trying to work on that this year. And that's pretty amazing. Um, that, so I, that's, yeah, that's, that's a lot on a dating app. Yeah. Things are improving. Yeah, yeah society, society drifts right into the app and the app drifts right into society, right? Shad Woodrum, thank you so much. I'll let you get back to your Valentines today. <laughs> thanks, thanks for your time oh, today. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. Good night. And we've been diving into some of the best duets of all time, but uh, there's so much more to it, Ben. When you talk about romantic songs, right, it can mean just about anything to anyone. I mean, are they songs that are, are they seduction tracks? Are they songs that you play at your, are they the first dance at a wedding? They can mean so many different things to so many different people. And a lot of it is about nostalgia. When you heard her first song, we just played Reunited by Peaches and Herb, which is a song that I liked when I was about nine, right? When I bought the 45, there was lots of things going on at the time. Uh, but we hearken back to high school sometimes for songs <laughs> That we, that we think are great. Um, but what makes a great romantic song? Why do they tug at us in a particular way? Well, few will know this issue better than musicologist Nate Sloan. He's an assistant professor at the University of Southern California's Thornton School of Music. He's also co-host of the Switched On Pop podcast. Nate, thanks so much for taking the time tonight. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah, tell me a bit about it. I mean, it's such a broad. I was, of course, scrolling through all your podcasts. I've listened to some of them, but I was scrolling through all of them looking to see if you'd done a Valentine's Day one. And there was one a way back, but I think it was about sort of seduction tracks more than uh, more <laughs> right. than romantic more than romantic tracks. But it's such a broad topic. I mean, what do you? What is it? What What makes a song a Valentine's Day song? Do you think? This is something that I've I've had on my mind because I, I was a guest on the uh, CBS Sunday Morning Show uh, talking about this, so I I was able to kind of formulate a three part thesis for a successful love song, and you can tell me what you think. Uh, the first part is that I think you need to be able to say I love you in a new way, some way that has not been expressed before even in the thousands upon thousands of love songs that uh, precede you i think the next thing you have to do is to make the music of your song support the lyrics whatever you're trying to say how can your musical choices reinforce that lyrical message and then finally i think the third thing is the performance you have to perform the song with passion with abandoned with intensity and if you're going to do if you're able to do those three things maybe you too can join the ranks of of the great love songs of all time well nate if you've ever heard me sing you'd know that will never ever ever happen but it was uh <laughs> but no i think that's right i mean you do they do have to it's not so much because the words of, of any love song are are usually not that complex, right? They're fairly mm. they're fairly mundane, and yet if they're sung with passion, um, then it works. You've you've 
been so kind as to offer us some a list of some of the ones that really touch you. And they're very different, which is an interesting way of approaching it. Mm. Uh, here's the first one. The great, the great Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah, you can't beat Ella Fitzgerald. I, I had sort of picked <laughs> cheek to cheek because I was doing duets, right? So I picked uh, her and Louis Armstrong. But that's a great song. Uh, the alliteration in and of itself is great. I picked this song. Cheek to Cheek is such a great one, too. I'm glad you mentioned that. Those Ella Louis duets are incredible. This song was my selection because I think it captures the creative ways that songwriters have found to tackle the subject that's so ubiquitous in popular music and do it in a fresh way. As you point out, that title phrase, bewitched, bothered, bewildered, you've never heard that before. And for me, as soon as I hear the title of that song, I think I have to hear that. I have to hear what this narrator is going through. I have to hear this new way of expressing being in love that I haven't heard before. And then, of course, when you have one of the great vocalists of the 20th century, Ella Fitzgerald, performing it, it just cuts right right through to, to the emotional core of the lyrics. So that's why I, I picked this song on Valentine's yeah. Day. Even even the title itself says so much about what it what it what it's like to first be in love, right? It's it, it's bewitching. It's certainly bothersome, and it's definitely bewildering. That's right. That's right. And and you know, hopefully, if you're in a relationship that's going to last, you 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 hopefully still feel all those things. You know, it's it's. Uh, I think that's the way you want to wake up every day. Is oh, I feel a little bewitched, a little bewildered. And, uh, and definitely bothered. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the next one is, well, is you know, <laughs> exactly. The next one is a great one because I feel like uh, when it comes to the king, not that his not that his ballads were overlooked, but so much of the attention was paid to the jailhouse rocks and so on. Um, mm. But this song is such a great Elvis Presley song. It's 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 such a great song, and it reminds me of of, of the Righteous Brothers in some ways. Although I think I think mm. it predates that that, um, but it also is the kind of song like that reminds me of the kind of stuff my grandmother listened to. And yet Elvis was was supposed to be not my grandmother's music, right? <laughs> but that right. song was so um, seems so timeless. I guess would be the overused term. Well, you're you're right about that because the melody of this song, which was released in the middle of the 1960s goes all the way back to 1783 when really? it was first composed. It's a French chanson called Plaisir d'Amour, so the, the pleasure of love. And Elvis and his songwriters rewrote the lyrics to become the hit song that we know today. Why did you pick that one? What did you, what, uh, what do you like? I mean, it, it kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? But uh, why this, that one? I, I, this, this song, I, in addition to, to, to just being a very moving song to listen to, I think illustrates this power of a song to transcend different moments in time. You go from France in the 1780s to the U.S. in the 1960s, and then the British reggae band UB40 covers the song in the 1980s and gives it new life. The contemporary rock band 21 Pilots has covered this song. This song to me is a testament to the way that 
a well-written love song can last for literally centuries and speak to people over and over again through the decades. So th- that, that to me makes it really extraordinary. Nate, I, I, because because you're in the U.S., I knew you weren't going to be able to. You wouldn't have known this one, but there was a Canadian. There's a Canadian version of "I Can't Help Falling in Love" as well, sung by quite a well-known Canadian singer of the '80s, Corey Hart. You could hear you could hear the sunglasses at night vocal in there, uh, can't you? But yeah, that was that that was actually a pretty big hit here in on this side of the border, at least. I really enjoyed that. Thanks for introducing it to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Corey Hart had his moment in the U.S., but I don't think that song uh, crossed crossed our great border. Um, we have a lot of other we have others to talk about the great Stevie Wonder as well. Uh, but when when you looked at sort of putting these songs together, was there was there an idea of trying to have a cross section of things that would that would be an, an idea of just how different a love song can be? Yes, exactly. There's. Uh... Songs that are fast, that can be love songs, songs that are slow, songs in major keys, songs in minor keys. You know, love is something that it's not a simple emotion, right? (laughs) If it was, it probably wouldn't be occupying us as songwriters for hundreds and hundreds of years. The fact is, there's so many aspects to this emotional state, and different songs can capture different different flavors of it it can be funky it can be uh straight it can be a waltz it can be a samba uh so i I just tried to introduce just some of that diversity into this playlist it's our valentine's day soundtrack tonight the best duets of all time james and bobby purify that's a that's an old one Nate Sloan is with us this half hour. He's a musicologist, assistant professor at the University of Southern California's Thornton School of Music and co-host of the Switched On Pop podcast. We're talking about what makes a good love song this half hour. He's been nice enough to offer up some of his choices. Uh, This next one is, I mean, I love Stevie Wonder. I've always loved Stevie Wonder. I actually didn't know that's this one that well from uh, from Talking Book. Yeah, Stevie was what a run he had in the mid seventies. Mm. <laughs> Stevie Wonder. Um, that's an interesting choice, though, because of course there's lots of other. He didn't write a lot of ballads, but he wrote a lot of amazing tracks. What uh, what made you choose that one? There are so many Stevie Wonder songs you could pick. As you said, he is a master of the love song. Uh, I. I uh, a song like I just called to say I love you, Mashari Amor, uh, isn't she lovely? I mean, it goes the list goes on and on. But I, I I picked this particular song because of its personal resonance. This was one of the first songs of Stevie Wonder's that I really connected with, and since then he's really become one of my favorite musicians. The other reason I picked this song is that this section we've been listening to is a little slower. It's almost a little melancholy in a sense, even though he's singing, I believe, when I fall in love, it will be forever. There's something in the music that keeps you guessing a little bit. Is, this, is there something he's not saying? Is there, there, there's, a, there's a note of doubt. But then at the very end of the song, in the last 30 seconds or so, he changes it. It switches to a major key. The drums come in. The tempo increases. And he says, come on, let's fall in love. And that's how the song ends in this kind of glorious burst of ecstatic, sonic love. And to me, I always was just, 
stopped in my tracks whenever that happened. And I think the whole arc of the song really showcases how a great musician like Stevie Wonder can make you feel the full emotional roller coaster of yeah. being in love. Yeah, it it doesn't have to be, you know, all of you always forever, right? I mean, there is the, um, <laughs> there, the, it goes beyond the lyrics. There's something about the way it makes you feel, which I think is fascinating. And certainly an artist like that, when they're at the top of their game, uh, it's amazing what they can do with a simple pop song. Right, that's the thing. Stevie Wonder can write lyrics. To, uh, he, he's He's really gifted, but sometimes he'll write a lyric that sounds so pedestrian on paper, you know, I believe when I fall in love, it'll be forever. I just called to say I love you. I say those, and it sounds a little underwhelming. When Stevie Wonder sings them, you go, oh, okay, I believe you. You've convinced me. It's the sheer (laughs) power of his delivery that leaves no doubt as to the depth of his emotion. Speaking of power of delivery, this next one, uh, I won't won't mangle the name. Robert Schumann. In wunderschönen Monats Mai, Ben. There, there you go. Uh, your, your, <laughs> your Deutsch is a little rusty, I take it. My Deutsch is a little is a little not so good. <laughs> in mm. wunderschönen Monat Mai. I mean, wunder means good, and schön, schön means good too, right? So I'm trying to set the, the lyric, but yeah, I mean, that's that's a totally different kind of love song. But you can see the passion, you can hear the passion in it. Yeah, you know, you're you're, you're doing great. It's it's in in the beautiful wonderful month of may is is, is the title of this and the and the singer is is saying you know all the all the buds are bursting and that's when i go and tell you that i love you and i picked this song because i think it illustrates how the phenomenon of the love song cuts across all genres and cultures because classical music is maybe not where you think you're going to get your great love songs Maybe you'll get your stormy Beethoven symphonies and your bright Mozart sonatas. But if you go to a composer like Robert Schumann, you'll also get this really stirring, moving, even heartbreaking love song. So I put this on when I want to remind myself of how this phenomenon of the hit love song isn't just something that we get in the 20th century music industry. It's something that you find among the great Germanic composers as well. Yeah, they've been writing love songs for centuries, right? Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Uh, this last one is is one that I didn't know. It's it's the Marias. It's called Cariño. Yeah, the, I, I listened to it, of course, when you sent it along, and it gave me such a Getzen Gilberto vibe. Uh, mm. What a great track. Yeah, I love the soaring vocals, the trumpet and saxophone accompaniment i agree this this is there's something a little bit retro a little bit throwback about this and i picked this song because this is a band from los angeles where i live and teach and because it's sung in spanish which is increasingly globally the language of love the number one most streamed musician of the last three years is the puerto rican singer bad bunny and the Marias were guests on his most recent album. So when we're listening to this song, when we're listening to it sung in Spanish, I, to me, this is getting to really hear the music that the rest of the world is, is listening to, the language that the rest of the world is listening to and falling in love to. And this song just makes me feel so good every time I play it. 
So that's why I selected Carigno by the Marias. I found that too. You know, everywhere I've been trapped for work and so on over the years, everywhere you go, you hear you hear love songs, right? Whether it be South Korea, or whether it be Hong Kong or China, you hear they all. Everyone has their ballads, right? It's a fantastic. It, it is truly universal. The love song is a truly universal thing, as you've just pointed out. Universal and timeless. Right? Absolutely, it 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 it, it's, it would seem that. After so many centuries, like you said, of writing love songs, we would get tired. We would turn on the radio and say, oh, another love song? Not again. And yet that has never happened and likely never will. We are always hungry for the newest way to say I love you. And I don't think that's ever going to change. Nate Sloan, thank you so much for your time tonight. Great to be here and happy Valentine's Day. We'll move on now to, I mean, we talked already about technology this evening and online dating and how much it's proliferated and how much it's moved to different generations and so forth. Um, You know, romance scams have been around for a very long time. They certainly didn't arrive with technology. They're, They're as old as can be. But technology has changed the way in which people can be targeted. They can cast a much wider net. We've been reading recently about how artificial intelligence has even made it harder to detect uh, sometimes when you are being duped or tricked, for instance. Um, but how do you know? Well, often you don't, and therein lies the problem. And that's where my next guest come in. Um, she is born in Canada, but now lives in New Zealand. And she tells her story of how what was won and what was lost in a book called I Love You, Send Money. The title, of course, says it all. And I'll let Jordan Alexander tell her story because she tells it better than I ever will. Uh, Jordan, thanks so much for hanging on and thanks for your time tonight. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ben, for having me. Um, uh, On a Valentine's Day, this is probably the last thing people want to talk about, but it's probably the thing we should talk about. Yeah. And, and maybe, I mean, the fact that you have gone on to help people recognize this as well, you've turned, you know, as, the lemon into lemonade is is always a good analogy, isn't it? But it feels like you found a way to make this helpful. Absolutely. Um, it was it was kind of one of these situations where once you get over the, the initial shock of it and um, pick up all the pieces, uh, you feel like you've got to make some meaning and purpose out of it and helping other people avoid uh, avoid romance scams is is really important and it it gives me a lot of joy because we all want to be in love and we all want to be with that special someone and let's face it online dating is where it's at um, it's one in two relationships are starting now by by 2040 they reckon it'll be about 70 percent so it's here to stay and um, some of us that are a little bit older um, digital uh, digital immigrants need to find a way to maneuver this technology. So um, hopefully we can we can touch on that today. Yeah, and I think there's a happy there's there is a good ending to all this and it involves technology as well. But if we start back at where at, at where this began for the for the book, um, this sounded like, you know, the, the, the kind of the dream come true, didn't it? Absolutely. Um, I was um, I was a single mom. This was about ten years ago, Ben, and um, I had two daughters, about nine and twelve. And any single parent, even it, even any family with two parents, knows how crazy busy it is with 
um, both parents working and, and uh, just the busyness of life. Uh, things were going great. Um, I had a business. Uh, I had a great consulting uh, work. I had a circle of friends. Everything was really going really well. And one night I was out with some, some girlfriends and they were, you know, hey, look, you need to find a guy. You know, you're this wonderful person. You're doing all these great things, but what about you? And up until that point, I mean, I'm old school. I, I grew up in Oshawa, Ontario, and um, we didn't even have computers back then. And uh, so, so going online dating, they're like, oh, yeah, you've got to do this. And I, it was kind of the seed was planted at the back of the back of my mind. And it wasn't until the girls and I were in the kitchen uh, cooking one day and uh, we, were, we were online for some reason. We were looking at maybe a recipe or something. And this this thing pings up um, B2. It's this dating site. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a sign. You know, I have to go online. And it was literally that moment then and there. Um, I said, girls, you know, it's about time, right? Mommy needs a boyfriend. Let's let's do this. And so the three of us, um, I know this sounds so silly. It's like asking children to name a pet. Um, but we um, we decided on a profile name and it was funny girl. And um, and that was it. That was the beginning of my my online dating experience. So, um, yeah, that's a great idea. Is, Sorry, yeah, bringing ahead. the kids in, bringing the kids yeah. in is a great idea. Is a great idea, you know, sort of bring them, make them part of the process, right? So they know what's going on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I I probably needed a little support as well. And um, you know, so it was it was really fun. And you know, after they went to bed, I I got serious online and started filling in the 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 forms and things. And the thing that I really loved about B2, because I'm, I'm a bit of a pointy head myself, and I thought, oh, they use this really fancy algorithm to match people, and they have this extensive questionnaire. And so I thought, gosh, whoever spits out at the end, end of this has got to be a really good match, because it's so thorough. And um, it's so and funny. I, I went to bed right. and... Yeah, sorry. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, you went to bed and you woke up? Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, I went to bed, went to bed, and and um, it was this really crazy thing. And I, a lot of the people I work with now um, say they go through the same thing. You want to? You're hoping somebody picks you. It's this bizarre thing, you know. You give over all this this power and control to you know whatever's going to get spit out. Almost. Oh, it's like the high school dance so, all over again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's just crazy. So rather than being in the driver's seat and being calm, cool and collected and hey, I'll sort through, you know, if anybody's even, you know, matched with me, I'll, I'll just calmly do this. So you can see that the emotional side starts to take over and the love goggles are going on, even, you know, at that a very, very early stage. And, um, and so this, this guy, James was matched with me and, and uh, it was fabulous. Um, we both liked the same things. Our values were aligned. We felt the same way about family and education. And it was like, I, I remember thinking, gosh, this site has done all the heavy lifting for me. And, you know, um, checked out his photos. And, and he looked like a really, um, he was smart, casual. He had this business side. And then he, he was, you know, had these other photos of him doing things outside and, and one with his son. And, and it was, it was really like, okay, you know, let's, let's start. And, um, it, it went on Ben really, um, really quickly. And this is one of the, the key tells, you know, it was in no time at all. He was, 
contacting me every day, asking about my day. Because we were both consultants, we would talk about work stuff. Um, we shared our business interests. I would help him with doing pitches. He was a, a railway consultant and he was a solo dad and he was a Christian and we had all these things in common and very, very quickly, this void in my life was filled with James. And it was almost like, I couldn't even remember a time when, when he wasn't there because I was so lacking in this um, contact and, and having this part of my life that it was, it was wonderful to have this amazing attention connection, um, you know, sort of, I'm thinking, hey, this could be my soulmate. It's, it's remarkable to think so, about anyways, how this, this story ends because, because, because I, I didn't know about the whole business side of things. I mean, at this point, because you've had these conversations where you seem to be exchanging information, he seems to be who he says he is, right? Because he knows things that he would have to know to be that person. Absolutely. I mean, after you've done anybody that's been in business and has done a pitch, you know, you talk about, you know, what went well, what went, you know, what, what can you do better the next time? And, um, you know, and he was always traveling a lot and, and I was traveling a lot for my job. And so there were all these like, you know, feeling so weary and, and, you know, I understand sweetheart, you know, I'm, I'm flying from New York back to London. And the, the funny thing was, is that, you know, as much as it, it all seemed too good to be true, I still had a little bit of sense to check things out. So when he was in London, for example, I thought, okay, I'm going to send him flowers to say, hey, congrats about this, this job that you've just won. But it was kind of also part of me was like, yeah, I just want to make sure he's actually there. So I ordered flowers and he received them and sent photos of these flowers and, you know, when he was away, um, he had me do some banking for him uh, because the Internet being a railway consultant, of course, you're in in the boondocks and, you you know, sometimes Wi-Fi is not great. And so he's giving me his passwords and I'm moving money around for him. And so the, there were these things that that sort of made it seem even more, gosh, this guy really tr trusts me a lot, you know. So it, it really disarmed me, um, even though we had not met at this point in time. Right. You know, I'm, right. I'm, I was going to say, you had, know, you, had you met, Jordan, I'm just going to stop you for one second. We'll, we'll yeah. conclude this because the, the, there's all, there's more to tell. At this point, we've established the trust, we've established the relationship. And then I assume the requests for money start. You got it, Ben. Um of course, when you're in the, the deep, dark forests um, and can't get Wi-Fi access, the next best thing is to call your loved one and ask if they can do it for you. And so it started out, um, you know, for money for supplies. Can you, you know, transfer this? And I was using his account first, but then there was an issue with the ISPN, you know, and that you could see right. the ISP number coming from New Zealand and not from um, where James was. And so I got this note from a bank saying, you know, sorry, we can't do the transfer. And so it seemed legit that um, I could loan him some money. It was just until next week. And, you know, we'd already established that this was all business oriented and it was fine. And um, what I didn't actually have the cash lying around then, that was the other thing. So it was, it right. was on a line of credit. And um, so 
when when he finally got the, the supplies through, he said, "Look, I've got a better um, I've got a better deal. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put the money back in your account, and I need you to to send it to this other guy in China." So everything was being, you know, the layers and the it just it seemed more it was more complicated, but it almost seemed more plausible because it was so, you know, uh, you know, yeah. urgent, and he needed it now. So all in all, I ended up in three different lots giving $140,000. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've read your story, right? So I, I, and I, so we can get to the end of it. So you're meant to meet now. You're meant to meet, right? You yeah. Go to Hawaii. So we're, you go to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting in Hawaii and he's now in Sri Lanka. He needs more money. They've, you know, he didn't pay off the right people and they're all sitting in jail and it was, I was sitting at the bar at the Waikiki and, and um, just sipping on my pina colada going, oh my gosh, girl, you've, you've been scammed. This is, you know, you, I just did you. not want to believe it, but it was, I knew, I knew then that, you know, okay, what are we going to do now? And, um, and that was, that was kind of the beginning of years of shame and distress and what am I going to do? I ended up losing the house. Um, I came back to Canada because Canada was home, right? And right. where do you go when everything hits the fan? You go home. So I, I went back to Coquitlam and um, that's where I was living um, last. And um, it, it took me years to get over, um, get over the financial loss, the emotional loss. And then I kind of went from being a, um, a victim to okay i've survived now i'm gonna fight so that's that's why i just thought no i've got to help other people and um, the numbers are rising in romance fraud we've got yeah. movies we've got tinder tinder swindler no, all absolutely. these things but we've but, got you're, you're you're far from alone and you're certainly far from someone who lost the most right i mean it's but I can imagine just how devastating it is because it plays on such an important part of it plays on needs that are so visceral that it feels even Absolutely. more more awful than than other forms of of fraud to some extent, you know. Yeah, and I think that the the long term impact and the wider the externalities associated it's not just the cash, it's the emotional side, and then also all the spin off that happens, you know, for families. There's a lot of even Canadians that, um, you know, unfortunately have committed suicide um, that have been just so desperate in, in these circumstances. And yeah. it's, it's happening more. The sophistication of the technology is it's becoming getting, yes. uh, higher. Did you ever, I guess you never found out who he was, right? There was no way of ever tracking it back. No, I, I think that there's there's probably not a, a person. It's it's a mm. heck of a way to earn money if you think about it from a business model. Um, yep. You know, you you go out and you fish with all these different people, and and um, and some are going to send money and some aren't. Um, the the one thing that that I didn't do and that I I preach to others to do is to talk to people when this stuff happens. We we only report about five to ten percent of right. actual scams so even in canada where you know people are they, they say that romance fraud is about the second largest um fraud going on and 60 million is oh, has been yeah. lost and you know but that's it's that's a, a drop amount. in the bucket that's it's 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 nowhere near the actual number just so we fit it it is valentine's day this story does have a hap there is a happiness there's a happy final chapter at least chapter now right you've met someone else i believe absolutely and you met them online so 
I did. I did. It's crazy, right? But I mean, you have to, you know, if you're going to preach about, you know, online dating merits, then you have to go back online. So I educated myself and now I, I, I help train others through Love Assist. And I went, I, I got myself relationship ready. I went back online uh, and met my now husband on Tinder. And we've been married for five years and wow. it's fabulous. And he, he couldn't be more trustworthy. And, and one of the things that, that I urged for people is meet face-to-face ASAP. And yes, that's indeed. what we did. And <laughs> Well, Jordan, happy Valentine's Day to both of you. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us tonight. I know it must be difficult to tell every time you tell it, but thank you again. Thanks a lot, Ben. Happy Valentine's Day. In the last half hour, we, talk, we were talking about uh, scamps about online scams and just how prevalent they become. Uh, the second romance scams are the second highest form of fraud in Canada, apparently worth, uh, you know, it costs people billions each year. I think I got that number right. I'll have to look back at that in a second. It's very expensive. And one of the things that is, um, you know, in the last half hour, we were speaking with Jordan Alexander from New Zealand about uh, a scam that she had fallen victim to that cost her about $140,000, her house, uh, a lot of other things took a long time to build back. And it was it was a sophisticated scam. But they're getting more sophisticated. That's the issue, of course, is that as technology improves, the ability and the ability to cast a wide net and to use very sophisticated um, techniques. I mean, in this case, Jordan never actually met the person who's, who was re- behind this scam. And that, of course, is one way of, of trying to prevent this, I suppose. But as technology improves, even that, even the things we think we can rely on to protect ourselves against fraud has become more and more difficult. Uh, Jeff Kloon is an associate professor of computer science at the University of British Columbia, and he joins us now. Thanks, Jeff. Happy Valentine's Day. My pleasure to you as well. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, tell me a bit about this because we've um, we've already seen how these romance scams online are pretty effective as is, uh, but it seems like they're about to get even harder to suss out. That's right. So the thing that's changing now is how much it costs to perform one of these scams. Uh, and also what's changing is how easy it is to detect them. So it used to be the case that if you had your wits about you and you were engaged with uh, somebody online, that you might think of ways to try to determine, am I talking to who I think that I'm talking to? One way to do that, for example, might be to ask for a picture of the person, or if you're particularly clever, ask for a picture of that person doing a particular thing, right? right. Like if somebody's getting an image off of the internet of any ideal you know, target demographic person, like a woman of a certain age or a man of a certain age, and then you suddenly ask for them to be holding, I don't know, uh, a pair of red shoes, then that person won't be able to produce an image of that person that they've already shown you wearing a pair of red shoes. But nowadays, artificial intelligence can pretty much conjure up any image you want just by asking for it. And so it would be easy to generate an entire set of photos of a fictitious person doing whatever you want. In addition, people can now generate endless text that is extremely realistic and do so for basically pennies per paragraph. And so it becomes very easy and cheap to kind of conduct mass scammings at vast scales and see who falls for it. Yeah, because I suppose in the past, there was a necessity to actually do some of the work yourself, right? Like you had to keep track of all this stuff and write the stuff out yourselves. You're communicating with someone, you'd have to write those texts yourself. Now you can, now, now, as you point out, you can cast an even wider net and do even less work doing it. 
That's right. And we're all familiar with the fact that there are now junk emails. You know, back in the day, if you wanted to send out a lot of mail, you had to pay for it and print things out or handwrite them, et cetera. And now you can write one email and send it to millions of people. But up until very recently, what you couldn't do is cheaply interact, like respond to their particular questions or comments or learn their predilections, their tastes, their preferences, insider jokes, and, uh, and then kind of adopt all of these styles in a customized um, back and forth with a person. But AI has now gotten good enough that it effectively can do that in a way that is often indiscernible from having a human on the other side of the line. Right, which, uh, which again, as you mentioned, it's, it's not so much that the scam becomes more sophisticated, it's just the ability to do more of it becomes easier, and so you can do it on a mass scale. Tell me a bit about, about, um, about believable video footage, because that's even more daunting, isn't it? You could, you could request a video of someone and actually get something back that isn't what it seems to be. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, you know, the way that this stuff has tended to work in artificial intelligence is that images came first, text came second, and the next frontier is video. And we're already starting to see the ability to, you know, pretty much ask for any video you want and get it. So you can say, I want a picture of a Yorkshire Terrier wearing yellow sunglasses, flying a fighter jet, you know, in the style of the Red Baron. And there you go. You've got a video of that. And so scammers will quickly be able to take the technology and make you know, if if the fictitious person in the scam who you are falling in love with has a Yorkshire Terrier, well, suddenly you can generate all sorts of funny, you know, dog and cat videos for this for this fictitious person, and perhaps even more uh, kind of malicious and dangerous is you can take a video of a person, for example, a celebrity like Barack Obama, or it could be an individual, and then you can effectively kind of cast your own face onto that video or a fake person's face and even make their lips move in sync with whatever is being spoken and also synthetically generate their voice. So you could effectively be having an entire conversation that looks quite realistic with somebody who does not exist. Yeah. But that technology appeals, is yeah. still a little ways out and is quite, is kind of, you know, still beyond the purview of the average scammer. But that's this year, you know, give it a year or three yeah. and soon software will be out there to, to do that kind of very cheaply for any 14 year old working from any computer terminal yeah. in the world. I was trying to figure out how many people wrote their Valentine's messages on, on chat GPT today. <laughs> that was the, uh, in fact, you know, uh, in the New York Times, they have a chat GPT Valentine's generator. So they've set it up and made it easy for you. There you go. So we're we're halfway there. We're halfway there. Uh, what, what? How do you go about? I mean, when, when it comes to the what's what's nefarious about all this, of course, is that if you can if you can create a voice and create an image, you're touching on all those human emotions. You're basically, if it was before about playing with your heart, now that's playing with all your senses, right? And that makes the scam even more, uh, even harder to avoid. I would think. That's right. Yeah, I still think that right now in today's day and age. If you are careful, it's very easy to detect whether or not you're being scammed. Maybe not in the initial text back and forth or the initial email, but, you know, you could say, I'd like to, you know, send me a video of yourself holding up today's newspaper. And the technology is not good enough to fake that yet. It will be in a few years, but that can still protect you for now. As you said at the top of the call, the easiest thing to do would be to schedule an in-person meeting. Of course, you'd want to do that in a safe place, but nobody can fake that right now. But in the era of texts and emails and uh, pictures, you know, 
that it's, it's easy to kind of forget that you should be checking on these things and, and making sure that the person who you think is your ideal mate is not, you know, an 85-year-old man or a 14-year-old girl. Yeah. What's, 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 I guess, surprising about this, too, is that I gather the way the, you know, the way the emotional side of the scam works is that by the time you're starting to have some doubts, you're probably wondering whether it wouldn't be rude to ask them to, to hold up a newspaper, for instance, right? Like it's all part of a, a psychological game that's going on as well. How do you, what can you do? I mean, you mentioned some things now, but how, as this evolves, how can you protect yourself against uh, things like this? Because we're so often, we so often think, we're smart enough to figure it out. And we just spoke to a woman who's clearly smart enough to have figured it, figured it out and didn't. Um, you know, it's tough. Yeah, so the best thing to do is almost like a vaccination, an intellectual vaccination. If you read ahead of time as many examples of scams that you can hear about, you start to detect the trends and kind of the ways that people pull this off, and you will be inoculated tremendously against scams. Because... You know, there's a large variety of them, but you start to kind of detect the patterns for how these things work. Uh, A second rule of thumb is under no circumstances, no matter how safe it seems, send any money to somebody if you haven't met them or at least had a Zoom call with them, et cetera. Uh, And I would really encourage you to stop, maybe talk to a couple of friends before sending a single dollar. And there are some very, very clever ways that people get you to send money. For example, I used to be a landlord and people would contact us with a scam that I thought was quite clever, where they said, I'm moving to town, my company's willing to pay for my relocation, but they cut me this one check for, you know, $5,000 or $10,000. Can you basically cash it, take the security deposit out, and then just send me back that small refund, that one to two thousand dollars that's left over. So you do that. Your bank deposits your check. They give you the money. You wire it off. And then three days later, they say the check bounced, and you're left, you know, standing in the dust. And so again, just never wire any money to anybody that you haven't met in person or haven't verified that they're legit. Yeah, that's a good rule. <laughs> that's a good rule of thumb right across the board, I think. You know, but it's uh, yeah. We were just speaking to someone. I mean, she she ended up wiring $140,000 to someone that she had never met. But therein lies the, you know, therein lies the danger of the scam, right? It actually works because it pulls on so many different um, emotions. It pulls on, we're talking about technology, but it's so, the scams are so human at the end of the day. That's right. And that, you know, the sad part is, is that increasingly they won't be human. They'll be driven by, I mean, a human will have set up the system, but it will be an AI it doesn't necessarily have um, the right ethics and morality to know that it shouldn't be doing these things. It's been trained to do these things. And some human will be sitting back and raking in potentially millions of dollars without really having to lift a finger or pick up a phone. So, Jeff, are you saying that AI will soon be or is already smart enough to understand the manipulation that exists in a scam and then to, re- to, to replicate it? I do think that's right, yes. Not as well as a human, <laughs> But it is, uh, yeah, it's, uh, at a pretty good, at a surprising level, it is able to do those things. And it's only going to get more sophisticated, right? At a shocking pace. Well, Jeff, uh, on the <laughs> buyer beware. I mean, buyer beware. But Jeff, thank you so much. My pleasure.